You're listening to the Serial and Midnight Podcast, Episode 1. Hello and welcome to Serial at Midnight, the podcast. My name is Heath Holland, and you may know me from the Serial at Midnight YouTube channel, where for the past six years or so, I've been making videos about the things that I love. Movies, music, comics. Interestingly, probably movies are the things that I'm, I'm most known for my movie coverage. Uh, that seems to be the thing that has resonated the most with the viewers, so I have leaned into that. I guess I'm a movie tuber. And we're this the inaugural episode of this podcast is focusing on movies. Uh, but we're going to go to lots of different places with this podcast. I should let you know that I actually started in podcasting. Back in 2007, I co-hosted a show called Geek Brunch with my friend Mike Myers. No, not the, not the slasher, a different Mike Myers. I also co-hosted a rock music podcast. I've been writing about movies for the better part of 10 years. And I now return to podcasting. Interestingly, so many podcasters want to be YouTubers and YouTubers want to be podcasters. Why not do both? They serve two functions, really. People will listen to a longer conversation in a podcast than they will if they're watching YouTube, I find. Uh, So there have been a lot of interviews that I've had to cut to the bone for YouTube to get them short enough that they are approachable for a casual viewer. Uh, Hopefully that's uh, that's not a barrier. Uh, with podcasts. So I'll be doing some uncut interviews. We're actually kicking it off with something truly special. We're talking to Frank Tarzi, the Senior Vice President of Acquisitions for Kino Lorber. Now, if you've seen Serial at Midnight on YouTube, you've seen a wall of Kino Lorber titles behind me, hundreds of Kino Lorber titles. I can think of no other studio or distributor that has such a wide scope of releases, ranging from pre-code movies from the early 30s all the way through modern classics, Tropic Thunder just got a 4K review from Kino Lorber. They span the entirety of movie history, all genres, all eras, and they are doing incredible work for film preservation. If you love Kino Lorber and you have discs in your collection, chances are Frank Tarzi is the guy that brought those discs to market. So he's the Senior Vice President of Acquisitions. That means that whatever discs hit the shelves, went through him first. There's a team, but he's the guy that's ultimately making the call. He's the guy responsible for the Studio Classics line. And Frank does not like to do a lot of interviews. He likes to stay off camera. He likes to be relatively anonymous. This is a huge opportunity. This is a big get for Serial at Midnight. So uh, he was so forthcoming with his answers. He was so honest about what's going on, about what's coming in the future. There are announcements here. There's talk about 4K, why it's a risky market. If you've ever wondered, why no 4K? You get your answer in this episode. He also talks about the O-Card, the, the whole O-Card, you know, this, the collectible slipcovers that go over the releases. We talk about that. Uh, we talk about things that have succeeded and things that have not, what's not coming in addition to what is coming. This is a wonderful conversation, and I'm so grateful to Frank Tarzi and to the entire team at Kino Lorber for all that they do. So without further ado, we're going to cut to that interview right now. When people ask me what's my favorite decade, I always say 67 to 76 because it's the time where I feel music was the most creative, film was the most creative, I think. I mean, and there was a lot of, I mean, some of it maybe had, may, may, might have had something to do with drugs and all that stuff, but I don't know, but, <laughs> but it was, there was something going on. There was something in the water during that, that period. Now, I, of course, I think what killed uh, the the the, that style of film, the style of the films like uh, Electric Light and Blue and stuff like that that no studio would make today was was the success of titles like films like Jaws and Star Wars and and other ones, you know. 
because yeah. the studios really did not know what they were doing for, for a long period. You know, during the 60s, they made all these huge, uh, big budget, you know, spectacles that just bombed, you know, and then, and they almost, they all, they all kind of, and then, then that movie like Easy Rider comes out and becomes a huge success. And they were like, how much did that movie cost? And how much did it do? And that's why I think that opened the door for, uh, for filmmakers like Scorsese and Coppola and De Palma and then Friedkin and all these other great filmmakers that were from, from that era. So, um, you know, Cimino and, uh, you know, and then some of those guys actually had their start in the 60s, but you know, you look at Coppola's early films, they were they were kind of studio films. And then eventually he got, you know, he was kind of like the godfather of those young filmmakers, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. because they all kind of looked up to him, you know, Lucas, all those guys kind of looked at him as the guy that kind of like opened the door for a lot of them. So I love that freaking as much as we want to put freaking in this box. He's also the guy that did a Sonny and Cher movie. Which I believe Kino Lover put out. Didn't Kino put yeah, out? Yeah, he, yeah. He he personally hates that film, but <laughs> he <laughs> he says he did it. You know, he was hired to do it, and you know, just like uh, Norman Jewison talks about, you know, he he started making uh, romantic comedies, you know, because that's what the only that's those the only films they would give them, you know, give him at that time. He was making Rock Hudson, Doris Day, uh, yeah. kind of comedies, and I've released a couple of those type of films too, but. I, I, you know, Friedkin, Friedkin, uh, yeah, he does. That's not something he wants on his resume. I don't think he's uh, too proud of uh, good times. He gives a good commentary on it, though, if memory serves. Yeah, I he believe. does. He does. He's, he's, he was very good. He was very, you know, when we, we was very gracious when we reached out to him. We wanted to, we wanted to interview him for the birthday party, and then said he was very happy to do that because he had a lot of good stuff to say about it. But then we said, how about good times? And he was like, well. It's a piece of shit, but I'll do it. So. <laughs> it's similar to when we reached out to Peter Coyote uh, to interview for Bitter Moon. And then I said, oh, I also have another movie of your called Slayground. He was like, oh, that piece of shit. He said, all right, I'll talk about it. I'll talk about it because, you know, it's one of those situations where you have the guy, he's going to sit down and talk, and you have two of his films. We know that which films he, which one he wants to talk about. And... Uh, and right now we have like a few, I'm not going to, I'm not going to confirm any titles, but we have a few John Travolta movies coming out and we're trying to get him to sit down for an interview so we could talk. Oh. So, so you could talk about, we, we, you know, we, uh, at one point, we also had uh, Blowout, which is my favorite De Palma movie of all time. And I think it's probably his greatest performance. Um, but some, due to some political reasons, we ended up, kind of not getting that and it went back to Criterion so how much of your fandom I, I hear you talking and your fandom you know you love movies it really comes through how much of that is uh reflected in the titles that get chosen for release because you've got big hits right when we you you're you love Kubrick and we've just gotten three Kubrick 4ks uh and and we have we have, fear, we have fear and desire coming out next year I think so so we'll okay. have his first four movies on 4K. So that's excellent. Pretty much, pretty much uh, Kubrick in the 50s. We could call it that. If we could get the rights to the short films, I have an idea of releasing a really nice box set of all, all in 4K, of uh, you know Stanley Kubrick in the 50s, and go back to his uh, photography days and get a get a get a really nice booklet and essay and all of that. But unfortunately, the the shorts are 
uh, I think some of them are with MoMA, some of them are with other people, and they're, they're not being uh, responsive to our uh, requests. So. so what qualities make a good release for Kino Lorber? Does it have to be a big hit? Because they're not they're not all big well, hits. We're talking about good I mean, times. The, the number one the, the number one thing is always about sales potential. I mean, when you acquire a film, you want to make sure if we pick up a package of 50 films, you want to make sure at least half of that are are or maybe even 60, 70% of that are going to be very successful releases. So then that allows you to pick up smaller titles. Because if it's under the same package, you're always like, okay, so movie like Silence of the Lambs and everything else and all this will, will allow us to release uh, something like, you know, something a, a small film noir, you know, like uh, uh, My Gun is Quick or something like that, you know. So, so it's, uh, you know, but sometimes it's also, I think you had a question that you asked me about how, uh, uh, how do I decide? Yeah. There are times we pick up titles just because we feel it deserves a release great director movie made by Don Siegel that nobody's even seen or great cast you know you pick up a movie that has George Raft Henry Fonda Dorothy Lamore in it Akeem Tamaroff all these people you're like well why has this movie never been out on Blu-ray well it never got really released on DVD so you put that out but then there's sometimes the, you know these things also coincide you know you pick up a movie that is your, one of my one of my all-time favorites like The Good, Bad, and the Ugly but I know that's also going to be very successful I mean it's right. been it's probably the most successful title we've released on 4K and on Blu-ray. So um, even though the Blu-ray got a lot of negative responses by some fans, but not, 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 not the majority, I think the 4K overall has gotten received by, uh, you know, great response from everyone. Everybody, all the issues that were there with the Blu-ray, we, I think we kind of fixed. I'm very proud of that release. So um, I was very happy that we were able to do that. You brought up something I want to hit on. Uh, you said you got some some you talking about pushback from the fans. There's a very loud group of fans that I think that they think that they represent a larger group than they actually are. But I, you can tell me better than I than I can ask. They these 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 loud complaints about you know color timing issues or I mean there's it's the nitpick of the day for some of this stuff. Could you address some of that? Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, uh, yeah, most of them are. Um, you know, all bark and no bite. You know, they, they're not. This is not a situation where th this, they're not speaking for the majority. They're speaking yeah. for a small minority. These people that 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 list that post stuff on the online and using computer graphics and everything, a computer, you know, <laughs> to show what the colors were. Now, I, I I agree with some of the issues with color grading. Some of the stuff that's been done in Europe. This this that was the main issue we had with the the three Leone films. Yeah. that the original transfers were all very yellowish. Mm -hmm. And I've actually had conversations with the people in Europe and, and I've told them, listen, that when we did, when we did for a few dollars more, I said, we want this to be done this way and not what you've guys done. Oh, you want it to look modern? I said, no, I want the blue sky to look blue. And I don't want the blue sky to look yellow, yellowish and greenish, you know? Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I think, I think we've gone back and fixed a bunch of those. We did that with the producers. Uh, and right now, um, you know, I don't want to confirm titles, but there are some titles that we're going to do new transfers on uh, that already have previously rest previous restorations done on them, mainly because we 
and the studio where we're dealing with are not happy with the European transfer. So, um, but there are, so there's also people that have hidden agendas, you know, that come out and attack a label because mm -hmm. they're, fan, they're fans of another label. And they, I don't know why that has to be, but, but that's the way, that's the way it is. So they, there's always people that will never be happy with what we do. We could release a hundred films and 99 of them will be a perfect transfers with great extras and nice slipcases and everything else. And then one comes out with an issue and then it's uh, Armageddon, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 so it's very hard to, to, to deal with that. But as far as the, the demand is, you know, it's, 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 it's a slowly, it's a slowly dying business. It's regularly getting worse every year, but but it's also this weird oxymoron where the fans that are continuing to buy are more demanding now. They want everything to be restored in 4K. And then when you have a restoration of 4K, why not on a UHD? Well, a UHD release uh, means an HDR Dolby Vision Master, which could be three times more expensive to even four times more expensive than a regular HD Master from a 2K or 4K scan. Authoring a 4K disc is five to six times more expensive than doing a Blu-ray disc. And replication is three times more expensive. So it's just, I pick up a movie like The Rainmaker. It says it's a 6K scan done by, by Paramount uh, from VistaVision original camera negative. How come you're not putting it out on 4K? I'm like, who, who would put that out on 4K? We're gonna, you know, you, we, would need, we need at minimum, at minimum to sell at least 5,000 units of a title we pre we decide to put out on 4K. If we don't think it's going to sell that, there's no way we're going to we're, we're going to release it. Uh, each genre, each format is different. Comparing Blu-ray to DVD is 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 the biggest mistake you could ever make because DVD, the, you know, whenever you're dealing with studios, there are titles that they held on to because they said, "Well, these are our signature films." I'm like, "Yeah, but those titles will not do well on on Blu-ray." You know, when uh, uh, I don't want to name a studio and I don't want to name a title because I've had these conversations with them. But when you've licensed these really good horror and sci-fi films already because they were not big DVD titles, you've made a big mistake <laughs> because the comedies and dramas you've kept uh, are not going to do well on Blu-ray. <laughs> it's just not going to be such a... And then, and then 4K is even, even more of a niche uh, uh, format where only select types of, you know, newer films do really well. That's why my first release was Hannibal, because I said, well, this is a sequel to a classic. It's directed by Ridley Scott. It's beautifully shot. And it did like, you know, $200 million in the box office. So for me, let me take a chance on this and see. And then, of course, after that, we did Mad Max and, and uh, other ones like, uh, uh, you know, Good, Bad, and the Ugly and other ones, which were no-brainers for us. Um, I mean, we also took chances on on putting out uh, uh, the apartment, let's say, and uh, or or nobody's fool that's coming out, or the score, which is a good, yeah, very good. But we only did those because they were already been restored. Uh, the restoration works already was already done, and all we had to worry was about the additional cost of authoring and mass and, and replication. So. It made the decision a lot easier when we didn't have to spend as much that much money. Since it was sitting there in HDR and Dolby Vision, it made the decision easier to acquire those rights and put them out. 
Uh, I am going to confirm one title during this interview, and uh, it's the Italian job. The Italian job, when we announced it, the 19, the, the classic Michael Caine film, uh, we announced it on Blu-ray only. It was a 4K restoration done by, by the studio. Um, but since then, we found out that most of the work towards the creation of HDR was done, and it was going to cost us two to $3,000 more to finish the delivery of the HDR in Dolby Vision. So since we were able to do that, we are going to now release it both on 4K with the second Blu-ray disc and also a separate Blu-ray release since it's never been out on Blu-ray before. Uh, as you can see on the title, like Escape from Alcatraz, we're not releasing a separate Blu-ray because the Paramount version is still selling on, on, um, on Amazon for 10 bucks. So it doesn't make sense for us to compete with them. I don't think they want us to do that. But the 4K disc includes the Blu-ray, so that would be great. Uh, well, so, so any title that's never been out before on Blu-ray, we're going to probably put out both so two separate releases. But if they've uh, if they've uh, um, if they've if they're available currently in the market at a at a very cheap or reasonable price, it doesn't make sense for us to to compete with the current version of, uh, in the in the market. You know, so. does that explain some of the criterion stuff too? Because I know people ask me about that a lot. There are criterion well, the criterion movies. titles. Some of them no, some of them were we only acquired 4K rights. Okay. We didn't have Blu-ray rights. Um, uh, so. So when we when I thought of like Dress to Kill, we're gonna put that out on 4K. We the Blu-ray this is just gonna include the extras. You know, the three Kubrick films, uh, we put those out as 4K discs only because we really couldn't create any new extras. We tried to do some interviews, we reached out to some people and nobody no, everybody turned us down, you know. So so there was no reason for us to include a second Blu-ray disc with with interviews and featurettes because there was none. <laughs> so well, I love that that uh, 4K of the apartment. It's one of my favorites. So thank you for making sure that that got a 4K release. It's beautiful. Yeah, and then but when we put that out, and we also put out some like it hot. Some like it hot is more of a no brainer. It's it's yeah. Marilyn Monroe. It's it's a much bigger film. Um, people ask us about Witness for the Prosecution. A Witness for, for the Prosecution is a really good selling title for us on Blu-ray, and a really good selling title on DVD. I mean, huge DVD release. Uh, but I just, uh, I'm still not confident enough in the format to bite the bullet and put that out on 4K. I'm just going to wait a little bit longer before I decide to put something like that out on 4K. Well, let's uh, talk about that a little bit. Same thing with like titles like Thomas Crown Affair and Long Long Riders and other ones that we had actually 4K rights, but we never decided to put them, we didn't ever put them out, so. Could you talk more about that? I mean, it's it's 4K is still a risky proposition, right? I was just talking to another, um, well, it was Bill Lustig. It was William Lustig talking about how he was very apprehensive about entering the 4K market because he didn't want to lose his shirt. And I know that there was, uh, you, you know, Hannibal, you mentioned Hannibal came out from Kino Lorber. And then it was a while before we got more. Did the market just change that fast? It was like, okay, now it's time we can move ahead a little bit more. Well, I, I know Bill very well. Every time he comes to New York, we have lunch or dinner. So, <laughs> so, so he was picking my brain when I put out Hannibal. He was like, well, I'm thinking about putting out Maniac and, and, and uh, uh, Zombie and all these other movies. I said, listen, uh, those are good movies, two good movies to take a chance on. I still think it's, it's kind of risky. If I had the films, would I do them? Maybe. But I told him at that point what, what, what my next releases were. I said it was going to be like The Good, Bad, and the Ugly, and Mad Max, you know, and major, some major titles. And um, I, I think 
depending on the label, you know, there's a movie that I'm, I may want to may, may may pass on and not release on 4K, but another label may look at it and say, no, I want to take a chance on this, and they will do it. Yeah. We we we're, we're all we're, you know that's what makes this whole business really interesting because we're all different different minds. You know, we all have different ideas of what what would work and what won't. Uh, I'm I'm I've been doing this for a long long time, so I have a very good sense of what this industry is all about. It's regularly evolving. And if you don't change your ways, you're going to be left behind. You know, you got to regularly evolve and figure out, okay, this is not working anymore. What do I need to do? Okay, 4K is available as is a format that we've tested now. We were the first label to ever put out a, um, a title on 4K. I mean, Hannibal, we did that a year or two before anybody else put any, any titles out on 4K. Now, I'm not counting, of course, Lionsgate and other people like that. They're major studios. I'm talking about Boutique labels, you know, Criterion, Us, Shout Factory, uh, you know, other people like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, the format is the format is very risky. I mean, like, <clears throat> I pick up a title like The Train. I know that Twilight Time had released that twice as three thousand limited edition. First time as three thousand, then Encore, <laughs> Encore three thousand, and they sold out both 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 times, which means that six thousand units sold in. And then I acquired on Blu-ray, and it does really well for me. I've, of course, we have nicer packaging and a old card and a slipcase and all that stuff. It does really well for us. And then, so I go back to MGM and I say, "Hey, there are four Ks, four K rights available. I'm going to take a chance on this title because of seeing how well it's done for so long." I decided to pick that title up and put it out. A title like "Taking a Path on Winter Tree." It's always great to look at my own sales history, uh, like. Uh, I mean, the Good, Bad, and the Ugly and the Leone films, I had the sales history in front of me. I knew those were no-brainers. Uh, a, t- a title like Taking a Path on One, Two, Three, I saw what it did for me, and I know what it was available on Blu-ray for like almost a decade before by, by from the, direct from the studio. So it's been in the market for so long, and for it, con- for, it con- for it to continue to sell so well, I knew that title would do really well in 4K. So, I mean, we haven't released that one yet, but it's coming soon. You know? um, but, you know, Revenge of the Ninja, Into the Ninja, those films have done great, but I'm still not sure. Not sure that it's uh, that I'm going to take a chance and put those out on 4K. Uh, another studio may hear this interview and say, oh, shit, let me go. They're not interested. Let me call MGM and try to get the 4K rights. They do. They do, you know, but uh, we're about to announce uh, another series of action films from the 80s that, that's been previously released. And we're going to put them out on, on Blu-ray. Uh, two of them are from 4K scans of the original camera negative, and one of them is a 2K scan of the interpositive. And when we announced that, I know there's going to be all this, why not on, not, why not on UHD? You know, this has already been out on Blu-ray a bunch of times. I just don't think they're big enough films. Uh, you know, so, and I could be wrong, but that's, you know, but uh, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I'm usually I'm usually pretty good when it comes to this this stuff. I'm judging what's going to do well and what doesn't do well. So, well, and the consequences of being wrong about that could be uh, could be pretty dire. You have several high profile failures, and it could be it could be bad news. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, one of one one really bad performing 4K could really hurt hurt your business, and then 
you do like three or four of those in a row, even, even though we got fully restored masters for titles like Nobody's Fool in the score, I'm, I'm worried. I'm worried about those titles doing well on, on 4K because I just don't think they were made for that format, you know, um, at least not for now, maybe five years from now when everything is cheaper, when restoration costs are down again, because everything's going, instead of going down, everything's going up, you know, mastering costs are going up and uh, uh, what the prices we were paying for like three, four years ago, we're not paying anymore. So that's, that's, that's one of the things. So. You brought up O cards. We got to talk about O cards because some people keep them, some people throw them away, some people sell them on eBay for a ridiculous amount of money. What's what is this? How do how do you market the O cards? Like they've how, what? Who decides what gets them and what doesn't? And do they add you know flash to certain releases? Well, Kino Classics, when, especially when I was gone, when I had left Kino for those four years, they were releasing most of their films. You know. Metropolis, Nasratu, all these type of titles that were coming out, they were coming out with slipcases. So, so they were doing that before for a long, long time. So I don't want people to get this idea that Kino's new to the old card business or slipcase business. We had been doing it for a long, long time. When I launched the, the Studio Classics line in 2014, I decided to like stay away from old cards and slipcases. It asks the cost, it asks, adds to uh, uh, packaging, not not the, how much it, it takes to, to, you know, it takes a, a week to two weeks longer to package a title that has a slipcase than I want to just is in an amore case and it's shrink wrapped, you know. So, 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 for that reason, I I I, uh, um, I decided to uh, to pass on them. We started. We included them for for like the OSS films and. When I did the Mimi Van Doren collection and stuff like anything that was kind of a series or a couple of films, we included all cards, but not always, but usually we did. Um, but at, at a certain point, uh, when I when I decided to do 4K, I said we're going to do all cards for all of 4K releases. So when Hannibal came out, that came out with a slipcase and got a really good response. Um, and what happened was. Uh, the biggest mistake I, I made personally was when we put out Good Ben and the Ugly, we only printed 5,000 of them with all cards. It's the best selling 4K we released. So we should have done at least 10,000 like we've done for every other release. Almost every release outside of Spaceballs and Good Ben and the Ugly had 10,000 all cards and some a couple even more than that. Um, so that, that Good Ben and the Ugly became... Uh, uh, like, uh, I don't know what to say. It's one of the most sought after old cards out there. It was so crazy that we actually found like a hundred or so overruns that we offered to the fans for like 20 bucks a piece. And everybody it sold out in like 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 half an hour. Like a hundred of them just went. And people, people were thanking us. And people may say, oh, you know, how, how dare you sell Carver for $20? I said, we're not making money off this thing. The, the, the overhead, the, the, the envelopes that we had to buy, the shipping, Everything you put that together. If we're making, if we're making a dollar for each one, is is is. I'm, I'm, I mean, I mean, I may be exaggerating. A dollar or two dollars, maybe we've made from each one, and that's not something we would, you know, we would waste our time with. We did it as a, as a, as a as kind of an apology to the fans that missed out on it, especially because first of all, dollars and for a few dollars more were coming out around that time. 
and those were going to have the first 10,000 was going to have all cards. I personally, when I used to get all cards, I used to always remove them, throw them in the garbage because I it always I wanted extra space on my shelves. And it, in that that little the cardboard, you know, five of those uh, like four of four four discs with all cards equals the same uh, uh, you know <laughs> same spaces as the five without. So I always felt like I don't need the old card. I'll just toss it out. Um, but it's always funny because I always knew there was like, there's some collectors that love them. And, and we, so, but you know, what happened is that we started having these sales. I know you had a question about the sales that we're having. Well, we started having these sales and they were very, very successful for us. And I understand why, because the volume that we offer and the prices we offer, nobody else offers. Um, it did, it did start hurting our pre-order numbers. So when we uh, started looking at pre-order numbers, I was like, okay, so people are not waiting for the sale. They're not gonna, they're gonna wait three months later, four months later, they're gonna buy it at a cheaper price. Why buy it now? So what can we do about it? And I was just sitting there <laughs> at this desk and the light bulb went off and I was like, slipcases. Let me put all cards on them and make them limited. The person that really wants the old card and makes, guarantees themselves on getting it, they have to buy it on pre-order date. And, that, and it, it actually does help. So most of our old cards, especially for the ones with the Blu-ray, are limited to 2,500 to sometimes 3,000, sometimes 5,000, depending on the title. Most of those usually sell out by street date. So that's one way uh, we, we kind of like leveled the playing field when it came to having sales. Because there are people that... Well, like, well, well, I want the version with old card. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna take a chance that it's still gonna be around four months from now. So I need to buy it right now. So that's that's uh, that's just what it is. I, I, listen, I, I I think they look great when I'm when I'm when I'm looking at one with an old card. It looks it looks you know it looks more of like a, like a collectible. Mm -hmm. So for me, now majority of our releases include old card. I mean, I would say the only ones that don't are the older 1940s and 50s films, the ones from the 30s, they don't. Because the fan base does not care about old cards. You know, they're older people. <laughs> they just, they're like, you know, they're actually probably going to get angry about the waste of, of the cardboard. <laughs> you know? So uh, you just brought up 30s, 40s, and 50s movies, and I wanted to specifically ask you about that because I... It seems to me, from my perspective as a fan, that the last few years have been really uh, transformative for classic movies on Blu-ray, especially from Kino Lorber, because we got there was one film noir collection, The Dark Side of Cinema. That, I don't even think it was numbered when it first came out. And then there were four. And now we're looking at like 15 volumes or something like that. Um, and there's movies that are coming out, you know, there's pre-codes, there's the you know, Fu Manchu movies. And specifically, I wanted to name drop Double, uh, double door because that's the one that really snuck up on a lot of people i keep recommending it to people i was just talking to the 3d film archive uh, bob fermanek and jack theakston was talking about showing double door years ago and how the audience for that it's just it like people just keep discovering these movies so i'm curious it, do you find classic fandom to be growing is that becoming a bigger part of the no. of the pot no it's not oh, oh no, no. no it's, getting, it's, it's not what i wanted to hear at all as 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 older people pass away or stop buying discs or or they they're never gonna they're like well I bought VHS I bought DVD I'm not buying Blu-ray you know so there are people that are like that so whenever we, we used to mail out catalogs we would get old timers buying Blu-rays and emailing us saying 
they stopped playing on my machine. And I'm like, well, <laughs> do you have a Blu-ray player? And they're like, no. no I'm no. like, well, you bought a Blu-ray, you know, this is a Blu-ray only release. I'm sorry. But um, film noir has always film noir has, has always been one of my favorite genres. I remember as a little kid, like staying up late one night and seeing Murder My Sweet uh, on late night channel seven TV. And I was like, I was like, this is like the most incredible thing I've ever seen. I mean, I just could not believe how great it was because I was, I was, you know, I knew about 60s and 70s films and stuff like that, you know, and uh, um, I mean, I was, I was a little, I was a little kid in the 70s and in the 80s, I was, you know, in the 80s is where I really, that's when I used to go to the movies a lot and see, see, but I always watched films. I always watched television. I just loved cinema. It was like my, it's like one of those things. I remember the first, I, there's very few things I remember when I was four, but I remember when I was four, when my parents took me to see The Love Bug. It was like a, a, a <laughs> repertory release of The Love Bug. And I remember that I was small enough where I had to sit on their laps. I couldn't see from the seat. So, and I remember thinking like, why have they hid this from me? This is like the greatest thing of all time. I mean, I just, after that, I fell in love with cinema. So I've always loved cinema, but film noir has always been one of my favorite genres. I remember working at Kim's video and it's funny, I will show you when I still have this. This, uh, I don't know if you can see this. Oh, wow. <laughs> this is, I remember them, I getting this in the mail when I was the head buyer for Kim's video and he, uh, it was the announcement of Raw Deal, T-Man, and He Walked By Night coming out on VHS, on new, new, new masters. And this is VHS. Yeah. And I remember thinking, wow, you know, it'd be great for work, work for a company like that one day. And two years later, I'm working for them. Um, so when I came back to Kino, uh, uh, we continued to release a lot of film noirs, and we were trying to do studio deals and stuff like that. But then when I went to Olive, that's when I started releasing um, film noirs again. Um, we did, I did a Paramount deal. Uh, they, were, they were very, they only had released like 10 minor titles and they were like pretty much, they had, they had no label. Not, most people didn't even know they were labeled. So when I got there, I said, all right, we're gonna start with studio titles. Um, and the, Three of the first five releases were Appointment with Danger, Union Station, and Dark City. And they were huge successes for us. And after that, I continued to release titles like uh, Force of Evil and City That Never Sleeps and Hell's Half Acre, uh, Files of Tom of Jordan, all these kind of titles I released at Olive. So, so when I came back to Kino in 2014, I decided to like continue releasing from Noir. So I picked up titles like um, you know, uh, he ran all the way and, and uh, Big House USA and all these kind of titles. And then I released that box set. I packaged, I packaged those five films in a set and used the old, uh, if you look at, it says, the, the old one said the dark side of Hollywood. I just changed it to dark, <laughs> changed it to the dark <laughs> side of uh, cinema, but yeah. I used the old Kino uh, uh, logo to start, um, putting out film noir box sets and the box set came out and didn't really do that well reason why I didn't do a second volume or third volume 
at that point was because it didn't. And then I realized it's because the films had already been released as standalone. So I was getting a lot of people saying, can you just sell us the, the, the slipcase? I was like, what are you talking about? How am I going to do that? And uh, so it wasn't until we finally did a universal deal where I had access to a lot of noir films, that minor ones that had never been out. As you could see, I mean, uh, I still release a lot of film noirs as standalone releases, but when we pick up the smaller ones, I felt like, hey, this would be great if I put these out in a box set. So I'm going to continue doing this. I'm going to put them out. I'm going to put out volume two and volume three and volume four. And as you said, it came out. <clears throat> and then volume one sold out and we, lost, we had lost the rights to most of the films. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, after volume eight or nine came out, I decided to go and reacquire the rights to those five films and put them out again as a re-release so the fans could still get the first volume. Now, we have 15 volumes confirmed. I have 16, one already scheduled through the new Universal deal, but I'm planning to do probably more. And the, one of the questions I wanna, I wanna have like a poll on Twitter or something like that to see if the fans really want us to repackage some of the titles that we released as standalones as, uh, as, as additional box sets, you know, volume 18, 19, 20. I'm not saying that we're not gonna do new, new ones, we are. But the question is, should I even go back and repackage all the really cool ones that we acquired from MGM, Paramount, Universal, you know, Fox, you know, all these other ones. So, mm -hmm. you released a couple of uh, Western collections too, um, but they stopped it too. Or there's only been two so far. Any any updates on those? We're not gonna do any more. Okay. Um, I tried it. I tried it. I was hoping it would do as well as from Noirs. It's not even close. And the actor sets that we did, those were not successful. Okay. Majority of those did not do well. I, in hindsight, I would have just released those films as standalones because one or two of those would have done much better as, as a standalone than the three of them kind of shoved into a one box set. I felt like I was doing the fans a favor because we're putting out, you know, it's pretty much you're getting three movies for the price of two. The SRPs for most of our Blu-rays are $24.95 or $29.95, and these box sets are $49.95. So even at $24.95 discs equal the price of a three-film set. So you're getting a free movie out of it. Um, but it just it's weird. I think the fans did not respond to the to the to the film uh, to the Western sets and the actor sets like they did with uh, uh, they did to the film noir ones. People ask me, why don't you do pre-code sets? I was like, well, the pre-code films are doing well on, its, on their own as standalones. I would rather not do that. It's been done before by studios. Let me just release the pre-code titles uh, separately. And then, um, you know, you, you, you mentioned like the dark room. There was all these, all, these, all these films that we went after that were kind of lost films that, that, that the studios owned um, and they just had never been out. Some of them had never even been released on VHS. I mean, that's how crazy it is. Some of these films that we put out, there's so many titles that I've released that the first, the initial release was the first time on Blu-ray and it was, the, it made it home video debut. Uh, you know, it never been out even on, on tape. Yeah. Um, I, I am gonna do additional Audie Murphy sets because the first Audie Murphy actor set actually is probably the one actor set that did really well for us. Okay. Uh, and I think it's because there's three Westerns and I think he has 
like a fan base. So we're all going to do volume two and volume three. Now, people may not be happy with uh, the titles we selected because there's a couple of films that we're not including, but those films need to be restored. They're only, they're only available in SD. And these box sets, uh, I'm, I'm trying to pick up as many, when I, when I did these boxes, I was trying to pick up films that were already, uh, uh, had pre-existing HD masters. Mm -hmm. Now with the new film noir sets that I'm putting out, all of these are being nearly restored by us. Uh, the first four, I think, uh, from Universal, the volume two, three, and four, maybe five, they, were, they all had uh, um, uh, pre-existing masters, but everything since then we've, we've, we've remastered in 2K. And in some cases we've gotten lucky where Universal has done a 4K restoration and, and we, we, we got access to it. So. That, so it sounds like pre-codes and Westerns sell, but maybe just not as a box set because it- um, They do and they don't. Uh, yeah, it just depends. People, 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 you know, silent movies are probably the most risky of all because we put out, I put out all these Universal and Paramount silence, and majority of them did not do well. Uh, and if I if I had to do it all over again, would I do them? Yes, I would do them uh, because to me it was part of a large package of films. But uh, am I going to continue to do them? No, I can't. I just can't. So, and this new new Universal deal has like a few silent movies in it. Uh, it's going to be kind of a fun release, but because they've all been fully restored by 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 by, by Universal Pictures, uh, I, I feel like we just have to worry about creating a score and 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 put and putting them out. As far as prequels are concerned, the no-brainer prequels are going to be good sellers, just like the no-brainer classics and the no-brainer westerns. A title like uh, a western like uh, Yellow Sky or Oxbow Incident or Big Country, that's going to do great because uh, it's they're considered like all-time classic westerns but when you pick up a movie like backlash or something like that or or quantes or something like that they're good films they're I very good Quanta. films but yeah. they're not they're, they just don't have the fan base so they're not going to do well and then putting them out on a box set where i'm giving a film away for free makes it even worse so if i had put out those three those six westerns as standalones we would have made a lot more money from them than if, by, by putting them out on sets so so that's why we i put a pause i put a stop to doing additional Western box sets and, and actor sets. The one that I feel the most guilty in, uh, about is that we actually called the first uh, Deanna Durbin collection, Deanna Durbin collection one. <laughs> we called it one because we thought we were gonna do three, but after the first one and how bad it did, we just decided we went back and asked the studio if we could replace them with other titles. But the good, good, good news was that they actually put them out themselves, so they did put them out of standalone releases. So, yeah, that's good. It's, it's. I'm, I'm glad that this stuff stays in in print. That's my biggest concern is us losing. One of the things that you've been so instrumental in doing, and that I, I want to thank you for, is you're putting movies that have been off the table for so long back in circulation with really good transfers and commentaries most of the time, and. For guys like me, like I love Quantas, and I've been talking about Quantas for a long time. So I'm like, hey guys, go watch Quantas. Who now, if people listen or not, I don't know, but it's there. It's the the biggest fear that I have is is movies disappearing, you know. And uh, you've been really, really well, great. At but, the, but 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 here's what here's one thing I would tell a lot of fans. I would say because because every time we put out a film and it's available for five to year, five years, seven years, or whatever, and it goes out of print, all of a sudden 
can you re-release it? Well, it wasn't selling. If it was a really good seller, I would have renewed the rights. It just wasn't selling. It wasn't, it just didn't sell well enough for me to pay another advance and print more copies. It's not even about printing more copies because that doesn't cost me that much. But but we whenever you whenever something is renewed, a new uh, payment is made towards uh, you know uh, uh, what we call an MGM, a money guaranteed advance. You know, um, so so when it's available, buy it. If you care about the movie, buy it. Don't wait until it's sixty dollars on eBay and then ask for for us to re-release it. You know, it's just. I understand there's going to be also those cases that somebody discovers the movie at the point when it's out of print. That happens. But majority of the time, it's because they're like, oh, this is something I'll buy. I'll buy it later. I'll buy it later. And then it goes out of print. Now it's $50 on Amazon. Now you're asking me to re-release it? No, it's just it's just not going to happen. And in some cases, we have no, no uh, option of re renewing or re-releasing it. Uh, you know, our, our Disney deals expired. The first Disney deal expired. You think I want to put out Night Stalker, Night Strangler, and Trilogy of Terror, and and Silkwood, and all these movies out of print? No, but uh, but they they wouldn't. We, we we were not able to renew them, so we had to. They have to go out of print because we lost the rights. Um, I mean, this current um, current Universal deal has some westerns in it. Again, there's a couple of westerns that picked up. I'm putting them out of standalone releases. I there was like a short period where I thought about doing volume three. Then I was like, no. Then I went back and looked at the numbers of volume one and volume two one more time to see if I'd done better. I moved up a little bit. I said, no, I just can't do it. So, so there's a couple of Westerns coming out, uh, I think two or three. But hey, the, the, the Audie Murphy volume two and volume three are Western sets. That's what they are. Excellent. I mean, the, the other not Audie Murphy's films that we released, as standalones were, of course, the one with James Stewart, which I, I love that movie, Night Passage, that movie we put out as a standalone. And of course, this is World War II one, which is the story of, uh, pretty much the story of Audie Murphy. Mm -hmm. um, that one we put as a standalone. It just didn't make sense to put that on a set with Westerns, you know, so. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, the, the, the current, the new Universal deal, I would say has at least, Maybe two or three uh, westerns outside of the outside of the Audie Murphy titles that we've acquired. So, how's TV looking? Because the last couple of years, I mean, the TV has really taken off. We've got Outer Limits, Buck Rogers, Kolchak, uh, Night Gallery. There's been a big. They've been good for good for the company. Well, TV shows are are very complicated. Uh, when when you have a title like Buck Rogers, where it's all fully remastered by the studio and all i had to do what we had to do was create new extras we would we'd interviewed the lead actors and a couple of actors and we did some comment we included some commentaries and we remastered the theatrical version of buck rogers the movie that the one that opened the theaters in 79 mm -hmm. so that's the only but the only restoration cost for us was was the movie uh we we tried to get gil gerard to do an interview but his agent was asking for you know crazy amounts of money. Uh, it always kind of bothers me because I bet you if I got his email and I reached out to him directly, he probably would have done it. But these agents all are all about getting their own little cut, and uh, so so that's what happens. 
so that's that's an easy release. That's a release. Are right, we going to pay for the transfer? We're going to do some extras on the road. But then outer limits, fifty episodes. It's forty nine episodes, but with the two alternate cut episodes, everything it was like fifty one episodes. That's like the same as remastering or restoring twenty five movies. <laughs> okay, so it's a very very expensive proposition. And the same with Kolchak with 20 episodes. That's the equal equivalent of 10 movies and a night gallery, 40-something. So, so that's why I've kind of stayed away from long-running series. Um, anything that goes for, like, you know, five or six years. I'll be honest. I did ask for the Hitchcock series, you know, the, I, but they were, those were not available. They were not licensed in. But overall, I've, I've tried to pick up titles, cult, cult shows that ran a season or two or three. Like Nagalier was three seasons, Out of Limits was two, two seasons, and mm-hmm. Coltrick was one season. Uh, I've had other shows that I've been interested in picking up, but for one reason or another, legal issues or whatever, they haven't been available to me. Um, sometimes because the studio doesn't want to license it, sometimes because there's legal issues. Um, a major TV show that has been previously released on DVD cannot be licensed to us because I think 11 or 12 of the episodes is not clear. And um, they're not cleared either musically or whatever, or they're just not legally available, legally clear. So they're not going to, we could include, we could release the show, but not a complete series. And this day and age, you cannot do something like that. Uh, so I did pick up two new TV shows in a new universal deal, but these are shows that, they're longer running shows, but they've been remastered already. So I think uh, I think the fans are going to be very happy. Uh, one of them we're going to release season by season. The other one we're going to release is two parts. So uh, it's going to have like a bunch of seasons in one set and a bunch of other seasons in a second set. I'm kind of giving away what that is by, by saying it that way. But, but I know that the the... The detectives out there on these forums and stuff like that, they will they will uh, figure out maybe what what I watch what show I'm talking about. But so that's 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 you you're not gonna get it. You're not you're not that upset, believe me. <laughs> but I'm sure somebody will figure it out. Uh, so so yes, I had to pick up two TV shows, but unfortunately it wasn't. And people are people are asking us to pick up uh, um, the Sixth Sense, which was kind of like. When 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 uh, Night Gallery reran uh, on syndication, they took some Six Sense episodes and got uh, Rod Serling to do intros for them, and they kind of cheated people into thinking they were. So when the, so a lot of people were asking us to pick up the show. Well, I, it, Night Gallery itself has done well, but it's not it's not a huge seller. It's done very very well. I'm very happy we picked it up. I can I cannot take a chance on a show like Six Sense because it has really pretty much no reputation. Everybody's gonna think I'm talking about the M. Night Shyamalan movie, you know. So, so um, there's a show that I was interested in picking up, and I may still do it later. It's a, a show called The Dark Room, which had like uh, um, James Corbin was the host. It was done in the '80s, I think, early '80s. That's a show that we, if we, if it's still available to us in the future, we'll put, we'll pick it up. With. Okay. Uh, as we wind down here, I guess this is my oh, last one other thing. I mean, TV, TV yeah. movies, TV movies are even. The TV movies, the one TV movies that usually sell well are the horror and sci-fi ones. Mm-hmm. You know, the Night Stalker, Night Strangler, stuff like that. The Martian Chronicles, those are all really good sellers. 
The Day After is not a sci-fi horror, but that's like a major, major movie. So that did very well. But every other TV movie that we've taken chances of, the Westerns or the, or the dramas and stuff like that that we release in the comedies, they've done no business. So every time we hear people asking us to pick up these TV movies that, oh, you guys pick this up, uh, you picked a girl who most likely can you also do this other comedies from the 70s? I'm like, well, girl who, girl who most likely did not sell at all. Uh, in hindsight, I wouldn't have even released it on Blu-ray because the, just the mastering cost and everything that cost us wasn't it wouldn't have come out. So, so uh, yeah. So, so but even even sometimes the horror ones, if it's a lesser known one, uh, the house that that would not die had Barbara Stanwyck in it and had a really great cast. That did not sell really well, you know. It sold okay. Um, the three, the three that we released uh, with Betty Davis and Olivia De, De Havilland, Scream, uh, Pretty Peggy, and all that, you know, they did, they did, they did okay, but they, but they were not, they were not big sellers, you know. Um, it's unfortunate, but you know, yeah, it is. I know the ones that will do really well, and the ones that I would have, I would have picked up in a second if they were available to me, but unfortunately. Some of them have legal issues or some of them are with studios that I don't deal with. So mm -hmm. in this current uh, universal deal, I've picked up a couple of TV, uh, TV movies. Uh, uh, I would say two of them are uh, kind of sci-fi horror genre. And one of them is uh, kind of a murder mystery. Excellent. So. Uh, as we wind down, you, you said something earlier. You said that the business is, is declining um but collectors are kind of keeping it going do you foresee a time like what does the next five years look like do you think that the catalogs that you draw from are gonna start to get tapped out or do you think there's a, a lot more product there you know to sustain the next five ten years well uh, listen i i was warned about the home video business being on a decline in the early 2000s so you know we're 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 doing great. You know, we've we've been doing leasing of stuff since I've come back. We've stopped set records. We've done really great numbers and everything. But I know the business is not what it used to be. You cannot. You have to understand that in the old days, you had Virgin Megastore, you had Tower Records, you had Borders, you had you had Blockbuster, you had Hollywood Video, you had places like that. Netflix bought discs. You, you kind of numbers you did in the past, you will never ever do again. That's never gonna happen. So what do you do? What do you do? You, you evolve with the times. You figure out, all right, now it's, it makes more sense to re-release something with new extras, new restoration packaging, maybe in a new format like 4K, then, then going and picking up smaller films that you used to take chances on in the old days, but are, we be, have become even more risky today. You know, a title that I picked up, like the the Republic titles I picked up in my first, the first uh, Kino uh, uh, Paramount deal, uh, the Roy Rogers Westerns and uh, the Dakota, John Wayne and stuff like that. Those titles I would not pick up today. If they were available to me, I would pass on them because I know that even then if they didn't do that well, now they would do even worse. The numbers that we used to do five, six years ago, we're not doing anymore for, for similar type of titles. But but a, but a, a re-release of a title on 4K or, or uh, doing a really nice restoration of a film that's never been available before in a good, uh, in a good version, 
is the way to go sometimes, you know? And I'm not saying that uh, adding an O card and stuff like that, but I mean, I could tell you that Steel Justice is a movie that I'm, you know, I've, I've, kind of become, I've kind of become friends with the director, Robert Boris. He was calling me on the phone. He was telling me, come on, come on, Frank, re-release my movie, re-release my movie. And I was like, I said, come on, Robert, it didn't sell well. I wanted him to, I really was in contact with him to see if he could do uh, an interview for Electric Glide and Blue. But he was like obsessed with getting me to re-release Steel Justice. So I finally said, okay, I will put it out. But you got to promise me that you're going to get Martin Cove. And he was like, okay, I'll get, I'll get Martin Cove. So we did. We we got we added subtitles, we added a slipcase, and we added a commentary with the director, writer, director, and the star of the movie. It's better than the version that was available before. It's also a limited edition because we I did not renew the rights. I just I had stopped selling it even though I had the rights because I was worried about even printing some more copies. But now with now I'm just when this version sells out, it's going to go out of print. Also, uh, so it's, so you have to you have to get creative. That's what you got to do these days. You know, you have to get creative. When you are picking up, you make you make offers that you think is very fair. And if they turn it down, you don't up the offer. You just walk away and just say, okay, this is not this is how much I felt these films were worth. I'm not gonna pay more more than more than that. So we're we have a very good relationship with many of the studios. Uh, and uh, but Sometimes they they think their films are worth more than they actually are. So so you have to not say no to them. Six months later, come back to them and make the same offer. And if they still haven't licensed to nobody, they may they may they may now accept that offer that they turned down six months ago. So so those type of things usually happens. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your time. I appreciate you being as uh, as open with the information that you that you have been. I want to thank you for so much of the, just since you know your time at Kino Lorber. Just in the last five years, more than anything, I've discovered so many movies because of the things that you've been putting out, things you've been acquiring and putting out, and it's been so uh, wonderful. I mean, these film noir sets are, are wonderful, and I just want to thank you on behalf of. You know, all of us that appreciate everything that you do, it's noticed, and thank you. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. We 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 love film. We love classics, and um, we we try to do our best. And then we acquire. I think we take chances on films that nobody else would would pick up. I mean, there's films that we would we we released on home video that I don't think any other label would even would have touched. And I think the studio would have just let it not released it. It was just sat there forever. So, so I'm happy that we we were, you know, I feel like it's like a uh, like a service to the film community that we're doing. You know, it's like uh, getting some. And it's always great when some when once in a while one of those films becomes a very successful title. You know, you pick up a movie for the love of cinema. You pick it up because you just say, "All right, we're going to take a chance on this." We have these other really great titles in the package that's going to protect. Uh, the lesser titles, because those are going to make so much money that even though these are going to not make money, overall it kind of evens out. Yeah. But then once in a while, one of those movies does great numbers, and there's nothing better than that. You pick up a movie because of, for the for the love of film, not not because you think it's going to be very successful, and it ends up become, becoming very very successful, and it ends up being selling really well. So. Those surprises are really, really great. You know, they're 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 like priceless. Whenever, whenever, when I see a title that we picked up and say, "Wow, this 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 is continuing to sell. Wow, this is great." And sometimes it's just as 
just somebody writes about it. Somebody writes about it and then gets people start talking about it and then people start recommending it on forums to their other friends on the forum and then on, on Twitter, on Facebook. And before you know it, the, the film now has a reputation as being a kind of a minor classic where three, four years from before, uh, nobody would nobody would have even known that film even existed. Um, you know, I did I did a lot of that also before in my previous job at All of Films. I remember when I picked up titles like um, I kind of introduced this director to a lot of people. This John H. Hour, who directed the I think he's he's like Eastern European. I forget where what Romanian or whatever, but he directed like some great film noirs like uh, like City That Never Sleeps and Hell's Half Acre and he did a John Wayne movie, you know, he did a, he did a Sterling Hayden film. He did like, he had like a very short period with Republic Pictures and I'm in about a four or five year period. He made some great little films. And I was talking to Dave Kerr years ago and he was like, well, he's like, wow, you know, I had never heard of this guy. And now I could see somebody doing a retrospective of his films <laughs> because, because these films are now available. People could actually could see them. Yeah. So yeah. that's a big part of it people to have fans of these movies they have to be able to see them and that's where you come in too so uh i'm well, gonna wrap up i'm sorry go ahead yeah no well thank you for thank you i i, I usually don't do this uh i've I enjoyed i've seen i've seen some of your youtube pieces that matt matt Berry sends to me and i've i've enjoyed I've, I've enjoyed them i think you do you're i think you do you're great at what you do so uh so that's why i said yes to you so i say usually i usually try to stay behind the scenes, hidden, hidden behind the camera. And uh, I don't try, I don't try, I do my best not to take credit and think of it as a, as a, as, a, as the keynote team uh, and, and, and I, which I'm a part of, you know, but, uh, and not, not, uh, I don't, I don't enjoy like being in front of the cameras and, and talking about myself and talking about, but, but since you want to know a lot about the studio classics line and everything else, let's, let's, let's do it. There it is, one hour with Frank Tarzi from Kino Lorber. This was such a, a real treat for me. As someone who loves movies, getting this peek behind the scenes, you guys saw, right? So much, so many forthcoming answers. So uh, so honest with what, what works and what doesn't work. But what comes through more than anything is the passion and the love of movies. So it gives me confidence that these titles are in good hands, not just now, but for the foreseeable future. And I hope that in a few months or six months, however long, I'm able to sit down and talk to him again because this was a real honor. Uh, guys, support this podcast. How can you support this podcast? You can subscribe. That's the best thing you can do is to subscribe. Uh, you can leave reviews. I know people ask for reviews. It may feel like it's a lot, but engagement is what these these platforms are looking for. So on YouTube, they're looking for thumbs ups. They're looking for comments and they're looking for that subscribe. Uh, that's the same thing on any format. They're looking for engagement from the listeners, from the viewers, from the audience. So engage. That's the best thing you can do. We also have a Patreon page for uh, those that want to go to the next level. We'll have to work out some Patreon, some podcast benefits for Patreon supporters. Right now, they're all video benefits. We've got a Patreon community that is super strong, super active. And uh, we're getting ready to do a group watch of Beetlejuice in the next few days. And uh, there are, there's a video review, there's a video archive basically at, at Patreon with over 130 exclusive episodes, collection tours, things like that. 
Um, what would you like to see as, as Patreon exclusives? That's what I would like to know. But any support you can give this this podcast, this new venture, we all know how crowded the podcastosphere is right now. So any support you could give would be much, much appreciated. Help us get noticed. Help us get found. Help Serial and Midnight to continue to grow. That's going to do it for episode one. Thank you so much. We'll see you again real soon. Till next time, I will catch you later.